to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. Greetings and salutations, fellow content labbers. Welcome to yet another episode of The Content Lab podcast. I am in a really good mood today, in case you couldn't tell by my tone. Uh, Number one, hi, it's October, which is the best month. And not just because that's when all the fall feels really start to set in. It's also my birthday month. I'm going to set aside the fact that it's going to be my 36th birthday this month. We'll just say it's my 21st birthday for the 17th time? I don't know. I'm never very good at math. Needless to say, it's my birthday, which should basically be a national holiday this month. Number two, I had a great working session this morning with one of our subject matter experts. Um, We're working together on this piece of pillar content, and those types of working sessions always feel particularly awesome. But this is a case where I have a super talented, but also super busy subject matter expert. You know, the kind that you need to work with to get all of the like great like insights and, and educational goodness out of their brains because they don't necessarily have the time to do it themselves. So I was interviewing him based on this outline he had built initially and I provided feedback on. And there were some really powerful moments during our two-hour interview today where through some clarifying questions, we were able to unearth some pretty powerful kernels of truth through his initial ideas. Again, two hours, which is exhausting, but it was the kind of exhausting that is immensely rewarding. And one of the reasons why I love to get up every day and and do what I do to help people who have all of these amazing ideas and thoughts in their head, and they just need someone to nudge them in the right direction. So all of that good stuff just falls out in a way that resonates with other people. Finally, I am thrilled to share today's conversation with you, and here is why. When people think about creating content, typically visions of blog articles and case studies and pillars are the first things that come to mind. But in reality, content can take many forms. For example, writing an email newsletter for your company is writing a piece of content. What's funny, however, or pitiful depending on how you think about it, is that when given the choice, I'm going to choose to write a 3,000 word article over a short pithy email newsletter any day of the week. I don't know why. All I can say is that there's just something about writing email copy that kind of makes me seize internally, you know? Like I just can freak out. And maybe it's just my natural tendency to answer simple yes or no questions with 10 paragraph essays and I know that's a personal problem, but regardless as to whether this is my problem or a problem that some of you relate to, I've invited Stephanie Kastevens, our Director of Audience Engagement and Community, to talk about a new type of email copywriting, conversational email copywriting, that I've seen others use in addition to ourselves. In fact, I'm seeing it a lot more recently. It's It's a type of email copy that I think will be much more commonplace as time goes on, as brands continue to push themselves toward being more human and more authentic because that's what their audience is demanding. So that's why I had Stephanie join me today to talk about the art of conversational email copywriting, you know, what it is, why I shouldn't be terrified of it, and then all of her great copywriting tips and tricks to make your emails even more irresistible through the copy that you create. As always, don't forget to stick around after today's conversation for this week's One Thing in the Weekly Awesome. But other than that, let's go ahead and dig in with Stephanie. Okay, so today I have the distinct honor and pleasure of introducing a fellow impactor who not only walked me through the arduous task of helping me create probably my first and last um, Bitmoji, Uh, She also has a way of saying the word bagel that makes me really happy. So Stephanie Stevens, Director of Audience Engagement and Community for Impact. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to have you find a way to work in me saying that word. You know what I had for breakfast today? A muffin? No. (laughs) Yes. This could go on for a while. (laughs) Did you have a bagel? I really did. <laughs> I actually did. It was pumpkin bagel. Uh, How pumpkin do you say it? Pumpkin bagel sounds great. Bagel, bagel. 
<laughs> I don't know. It just makes me happy. Sounds great. Uh, Thanks okay. so much for having me. Of course. Enough seasonal breakfast item talk. So director of audience engagement and community for impact. What, <laughs> what's a better way to qualify for my audience? What you do on a daily basis other than quote internet stuff. <laughs> I get that question a lot. Well, the title director of audience engagement and community is something that Bob and I came up with together when we were creating this position before I even accepted the job. And it was very carefully done. There was none of those words are by mistake or random. Mm-hmm. And what I do is a combination of the engagement portion, which is have conversations with people, help people, be it impactors, clients, prospects, people in our community, influencers. That engagement part is revolves around conversations and relationship building in a variety of channels and mediums. And then the audience part is the things that I think people don't always expect someone in my role to be doing, which is about managing people's personal data, making sure that we're compliant with GDPR and CAN-SPAM laws and that we're protecting everyone's data and maintaining our audience's trust. And also just cleaning up our internal contact database and making sure that everyone's properly segmented so that people get relevant content in a time that makes sense um, and not just blasting everything to everyone because we're better than that. So it's not just about, you know, oh, the social media is in the grams and stuff. It's not just about nurturing and growing the impact community. It's also taking care of it, it sounds like. Absolutely. Taking care of it's a perfect way to describe it. And I think we were talking about this once in our personal branding mastermind. I feel like occasionally people will say, oh, I don't know. She just like talks and tweets. And I I did buy the domain shetalksandtweets.com. I haven't put anything up on it yet, but I promise you eventually I will find a way to work that in because <laughs> it's so more for than pe- that. For people who are familiar with impact, they may have seen you in a few places actually. So as the, um, so you co-host the impact show with yes. Nick yes. and then you also are the grand high priestess, <laughs> the great poobah <laughs> of, of impact elite. Yes, indeed. And what's impact elite? So Impact Elite is our Facebook community, or rather it's the Facebook place where our community currently lives. So Impact Elite is a group of passionate inbounders coming together to help each other without sounding too jargony. And it's salespeople, customer success people, marketers, of course, small business leaders. And we're all coming together to answer questions, give each other feedback. That is Elite. And in this current time, it lives on Facebook. But in the case of Impact Live, our event, Impact Elite was there in person. It was a group of us in person. So it's, it's really the community, um, but it does currently exist on Facebook. Great. So obviously I didn't bring you here today to like do a pro forma after the fact job. Interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know, thank God, right? You passed, congratulations. <laughs> I, um, I actually brought you here because one of the things that you do for Impact Elite is you do, and I don't know how regular it is. Is it like once a week, every other week, you actually do an email that brings people up to date with what's happening in Impact Elite, right? Yeah. So we do that every two weeks or as Ann Hanley would say, fortnightly. Mm-hmm. I love her for that. I love her And that. bring Fortnite back. Yes. Hashtag bring Fortnite back. So I do the Impact Elite update email um, every other week. And on the weeks in between, we do the Impact Show. So we do the Impact Show on Friday. Then the following Tuesday, I do the Elite update email. And that continues in that succession. Uh, So for the email, it's about wrapping up the the highlights of Impact Elite in the last two weeks. So Facebook notifications can be totally overwhelming. I get it. I shut them off for a lot of groups I'm in. Um, If you're not mentioned in something, it's not only a lot of notifications because our group is highly engaged and people are talking, which is fantastic. But if you're not in that conversation and being mentioned, uh, the notifications can be a lot and it's easy to miss. I mean, it's really the one thing that is really tough about a Facebook group and a professional community is you're mixing that in with your personal Facebook. And so I'm getting notifications about puppy videos that I'm tagged in right alongside of like professional conversations. And so it can be hard to navigate that and make sure that you're seeing all the good stuff in Elite. So I take out the top posts and I kind of subjectively decide what that is. Um, Some of them are things that I think maybe didn't get enough love and they're a great conversation that people might want to make sure they saw. And sometimes it's the opposite. It's the most popular posts that everyone's engaging in, but I just really want to highlight how good it is. 
So what's interesting about this newsletter, however, is that it's very, it, it is drastically different. Let's say you've been a member of Impact Leader, have been on our, our email newsletter list for a while now. You've probably noticed that the Impact Elite email has changed substantially. And for those of you who are listening who have never heard of Impact Elite and don't know what the heck I'm talking about, make sure to check out the show notes, which you can find at impactbnd.com the day that this goes live. And I'll put the emails side by side so you can see what I mean. But the original version of the Impact Elite email was kind of your standard newsletter fare, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it had our logo in a head, uh, headline image or a hero image with a picture from the community or like a screenshot from Facebook. And then it had kind of like those outlined sections with the gray border and images and preview links and CTA buttons and all that good stuff. Okay. And then we now have a brand new structure that is, it's, it's so deceptively simple, but one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about it today is, is that we're now using a more conversational approach to our emails. So we've, it, we've almost deconstructed what the email looks like visually, but then also completely changed the tone of voice that's being used to be much more one-to-one and much more personal. I didn't know if you wanted to add a little bit more description yeah. on that. So, I mean, that pretty much covers it. The biggest difference is that it's what some might assume to be quote unquote plain text. It's not actually literally plain text or there would be no links, uh, but it's close. So it's kind of intended to look like an email you would get if I sent you a Gmail email directly to you, just Mm -hmm. a one-to-one email. It's like no formatting, no images. Um, In this case, I actually do record a video every email uh, that is a quick update, an overview of the links below, and it's just a 60-second recap. So it's like you can digest everything you need to hear from Elite in two weeks just in this quick 60-second video. So I do put the thumbnail for that in there. But other than that, there's no images. It's just text and links. And the the interesting thing to me about the, the conversational template is I was, when we decided as a marketing team to start using this template in some cases, I was very clear about like, we need to make sure that we're not trying to trick anybody. Like this is not an email that looks like a one-to-one email so that you think I'm emailing you one-to-one and I've tricked you. Cause mm-hmm. we all can see right through that, right? Well, that's just gonna. Also, that's the quickest way to erode any sort of goodwill. Exactly. Or, you know, if, that you and your brand have established with that person because there's nothing I think customers dislike more than being deceived. Yeah. And I wanted there to be like the opposite of deception here. This is a personal outreach and I want it to be a personal conversation. I just can't email 6,000 of you each individually every two weeks. So that would be my only job. (laughs) (laughs) So we started out uh, with this conversational template and it's, it's stripped of all the style and fancy images. And there are some key aspects of it that make it what we consider the conversational template. Yeah, because that's really my question here. You know, you and I are banding about this term conversational, but when we say conversational versus that traditional kind of image copy, image copy, Mm -hmm. newsletter style, what is it exactly that we mean by that? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things, but basically what it means is this is an email intended to start a conversation. I'm going to send you some information. I'm going to ask a question in it. You're going to learn a little bit about me in it. And hopefully you'll feel inspired to reply with an answer to my question, some more information, and maybe a little bit about you if there was something you related to. And it's a way for me to build relationships with our community at scale. So anyone who's interested and wants to reply to the email, great. I can read a couple hundred emails. That would be amazing if I got a couple hundred replies. I can read 50 or 60 replies and, and reply to them in turn. And sometimes it starts a longer conversation. Sometimes we, I suggest the person uh, to someone at Impact who does a podcast. And there's lots of routes for that conversation to go. Uh, but people do reply to the emails as long as I write them in this conversational tone. And some of the elements of that are, like I said, asking a question at the end, um, giving a little information about me to set the tone of I am open, I'm vulnerable, I am trusting you with this information about me. Um, And that's another reason I include a video. The video really sets the tone of like, I'm willing to put my face behind this and to say this out loud with my voice and put it out on the internet. I think um, it's really easy to hide behind words, especially when you have a community on social media. And you might say something on Facebook 
that you wouldn't say in real life. And so opening with a video with my face, my voice, and setting the tone of kind of this trusting vulnerability um, starts the conversation off in the right way. So this is really what I want to get to today because I bet there are a few people out there going, why are we talking about social media and email when I came here to learn about the content goodies and nothing else? (laughs) And that's because before we got started recording today, I shared with you the fact that, you know, if somebody gave me the choice between writing a short conversational email and saying, I need you to write a long form thought piece that will require research and opinions and ranting you know which one I'm picking. I'm picking that article because, and, and I, I sincerely hope I'm not alone. If I am alone in this, just lie to me. Tell me I'm not. Tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> um, but I get freaked out at the notion of writing an email. Like email copywriting for me is something that looks so deceptively simple on the surface. And maybe it's just I'm stuck in my head and I'm psyching myself out. Um, but there's just this it's so small and it's so hard. <laughs> and now we've introduced this um, complexity or maybe it's not complex. Again, maybe it's overthinking it, which is what I'm hoping you'll teach me today. Um, now we have this conversational style of email that you've described. And I had the chance to write one of my own uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I also, for people who are listening, know that they now have one in their inbox because I've the content lab newsletter started this week or or started last week, but, um, it was really hard. It was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Um, so that's what I want you to help me with a little bit today to help other people with. Like when we say, you know, it's email copywriting is hard enough already. So let's dive into why conversational email works and how you do that effectively. Totally. So, First, I have a question for you. When you write a long piece of content or even a shorter article, do you read it aloud? I do as a matter of practice for editing purposes because it's Mm -hmm. easier for me to catch wording and phrasing that doesn't really work when I say it. Mm-hmm. And then also because I, I'm one of my biggest hangups editorially is that I miss words. Like I'll be typing so quickly that words will disappear mm-hmm. or I'll double them up or just, double it. Yeah. And yeah. your brain will just fix it. So you're already doing one of the things that I do that I've been told and have heard from other people is helps conversational emails, which is to read them out loud because something that I think we forget to do in writing, especially in conversational writing, something that's supposed to mimic an in-person conversation is we forget to leave breathing room. And if you read some of the emails that people send, you don't speak that way. We don't speak in a long uninterrupted paragraph with perfect grammar and syntax and vocabulary and wide variety of words. Why would we write that way? And actually Ramona does this really, really well with our articles on impact. You can tell she'll write something like a short sentence with something in italics. And And then Ramona, so that's our, our head of editorial and she does the emails for the latest. And have you had her on an episode? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We had a, we had a long chat about <laughs> managing editorial calendars and the people who contribute to them. <laughs> Always another interesting challenge. Oh, yeah. So, challenge, challenge is a good word for that. Yes. <laughs> so Ramona's really good at that with our articles. Um, and it's something that I try to do with the email. So I try to write in a way that I would speak. And a lot of times what I do is I record the video first. And then I write the rest of the email because I already said it in the video, essentially. And the rest of the email is either a little bit more details, some links, a little bit more information, or it's if you're not going to watch the video, you can just read. Um, If you're not doing a video, I would still say something I've even done before is like record just a voice note on my phone about how I would tell someone what I'm about to say and then just write it in the email. I could have it record or have it transcribe my voice into text. Um, So leaving like a little bit of breathing room and space, if you were to be actually reading this out loud, will definitely help. And I think another thing that's true of a lot of content now being that we're so human and helpful, but is especially important in conversational copywriting and in email is referring to the person you're talking to way more than you talk about yourself. So like I did say, share a little bit of information about yourself. Usually the first line is, oh, it's October 1st. I had my first pumpkin spice latte of the season today. Like, let's be honest, I had it in September, but it made for a good opening line. And then I go into the email. But from that point on- honesty. Yeah. I also had mine in September. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but once I get that line out of like, here's a funny little tidbit about me so that you bond with me, uh, then it's all about 
the person on the other end of the conversation. It's not about me anymore. And I really try hard to make the remainder of the email say things like, maybe you can find something interesting in this conversation, or it might be helpful to you to ask this question versus I thought it was great that someone asked this. Mm -hmm. So I think leaving, leaving the breathing room to make it more of a realistic conversation or the start of a conversation and then really making it about the person reading the email are two big things that can help with that. Okay. I want to take a step back for a moment because I have two questions I want to ask you. I want to start with the more general one and then I have a more specific follow-up. The general question is if we were to take a step back and talk about, you know, the fact that these emails are more human, does that equate to the fact that we're now writing better emails by embracing this kind of strategy? Because I, I think it can be, you know, marketers have a tendency to say, oh, this sounds like a new great thing. I am going to do it for all of the things. For and every then we email, ruin it. And then you ruin it. So yeah. what I'm trying to figure out here is from a high level perspective, do we see positive results that are, are, are trending in a more positive direction with this style of email? And, and if so, why? Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. Well, I'm always honest, but in this case, I will continue to be honest about the fact that I blatantly disagree with uh, some of what the impact team is doing with conversational email right now, but we are in a testing phase. And so we're applying the conversational template to a lot of different types of email right now. And the feedback that we've gotten in some places is good. In some, it's non-existent. And I don't think that that makes it okay. Uh, so I, what I've seen and what, in some of the conversations I've had anecdotally with a few people is that conversational templates can be great when there's something you would actually have a conversation about. But if you wouldn't call up your friend and say, hey, I heard about this great webinar tomorrow and I really think you should check it out. It's going to be so helpful. I just read the book and I'm super excited to hear the speaker. If you wouldn't call up a friend and say that or send them a Facebook message, why would you send an email and fake like you're going to have a conversation about it? And I think that's the thing I'm struggling with the most is when we're trying to apply this template across the board, it just doesn't always work. Um, the same with our events. When we're talking about Impact Live, which is our annual event, when you're paying money to attend a multi-day event and there's important keynote speakers and notable authors and you're flying somewhere and you're booking a hotel, having an email that is nicely styled with well-done graphics and a color scheme gets you excited about the event. It sets the tone in a way of this is professional. We've taken time and money and resources and dedicated them toward this. And that's apparent in this content, in this email. A conversational template might work really well coming from someone like Bob, our CEO, because he would reach out to somebody on a one-to-one -one basis and invite them to Impact Live. But our director of event marketing, Jen, wouldn't. She's going to invite a list and it makes perfect sense. And I think people expect that. And so then getting an email that has no style to it and no images, it doesn't show you what you're being promised or what you can get excited about. Um, I think that's a big miss. And we have almost a year until Impact Live 2019. It's in August. And so fortunately we have time to test these things. Uh, but I think in the times where you would have a conversation about the topic that you're emailing about, in my case, a lot of times it's impact elite. It makes perfect sense to use the template and the feedback I'm getting is good. And sometimes it's just that I ask people what they thought of the, the email content and the style and they say they liked it. But sometimes it's just the pure fact that it does start a conversation. People are replying, they're answering the question I've asked, and it is starting this conversation and building the relationship in a way that a styled email full of images and CTA buttons probably never would. Okay. So that does help answer that question. So back to kind of the more tactical, how do you implement the style of copywriting? So I appreciate what you said about how, you know, and this may work for some people, the recording yourself, going back and just kind of writing it out. The interesting thing though, for me is that I have a very hard time doing stuff like that. I have, I have a very hard time feeling as articulate as I want to be and not, and, and I'm, when I say articulate, I don't mean that I'm trying to put any sort of artificial marketing polish on my speech. It's just, I'm, I tend to be a writer first. 
I can get very anxious about things that I'm worried about, or my speech can get a little bit jumbled. And so the recording and then writing thing, I'm happy to try it, but what would you suggest for other people like me who may be struggling to really find that kind of like simple kind of rhythm of what their own voice sounds like? Totally. I would reverse it. I would write out what you're going to say and then read it and maybe read it and record it and listen to it. Because all you're trying to accomplish is, is this something that could easily be processed in someone's brain as they're reading through it as something that would feel kind of natural and effortless and obviously not marketing. And I mean, I can't help but look at the poster behind you, which says, write drunk, edit sober, naturally. And uh, I don't know, write the first one drunk, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a good way to let go. Uh, No, I, I do think that both of those things would be helpful, either recording it first or writing something and reading it. But I think the other thing is, like we always say, nothing's harder to edit than a blank page or whatever that quote is. Um, just write something, just write it down, whatever you were going to say. It doesn't matter if your, your words are jumbled or you're not, like you said, you're a writer first, totally. So you can edit. Um, I would just type the email like you're going to write it to me or a coworker or a friend. Don't focus on the fact that it's going to go to this segmented list of people. I mean, know the persona. Don't write it to your mom or your husband, but just write it like you're writing it to a friend. And then go back and edit it and polish it up a little if you need to. That's fine. And if you write the word the twice, you know, you'll read it aloud, you'll catch that. But I wouldn't worry so much about, I guess, how how am I trying to say this? I wouldn't worry so much about if it's perfect and you get the rhythm down the first time because it will get easier with practice. So we've, we've been drawing a comparison quite a bit between traditional email copywriting and conversational copywriting, but I don't think we've actually done, we haven't really talked about really what the differences are. So can you tell me a little bit about things that Stephanie would do from a copywriting mechanics perspective on a traditional email newsletter that you wouldn't do in a conversational email? Yeah. And this is something that uh, someone told me once about our on-site chat, which is also part of our conversational marketing strategy. We have website chat on our site and I'm one of the people who answers those chats. And when someone asks a question, it's in my marketer nature to type out a very well-written two-sentence comprehensive answer to their question. However, in this particular case, while you're typing and someone sees the little dots that someone's typing, the other person is waiting on the other end of this for the quick answer they expect from live chat and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And someone said, don't answer like you're a marketer, answer like you're a human. And I'm like, that's a really good point. So now when someone asks a question on chat, I say, hey, how's it going? I can totally help you. And I split it up a little bit. And sometimes I even type half a thought and then hit enter to send and then type the rest of the thought. And that same rule kind of applies to conversational copywriting for email or in any case where you're being quote unquote conversational is marketer Stephanie would write a polished two sentence, three sentence description of a webinar that hits all the buzzwords. It bolds the most important thing that's going to catch your eye and probably says something about goals or outcome. (laughs) And conversational Stephanie would say something like, yo fam, guess what? (laughs) And I don't, I'm not saying you have to be like inherently casual. I said that once. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, I think (laughs) like, I wouldn't say that you would say that you don't want to be Steve Buscemi in 30. Hello, fellow kids. Don't be someone you're not. Yeah. But think about the way you would actually say it in real life, like say it in a conversation and I don't know, test it out on somebody, turn around to your coworker or your cat and say it out loud and see what happens, see if it feels right or if it feels weird. Um, Like I rarely say the word y'all. Sometimes I do or folks, I'll be like, hey folks, I don't say that out loud a lot. I do say it in writing because I think it's like an inclusive gender neutral term. But if I am writing a conversational email, I'll probably use slightly more casual language, but more importantly, I'll just, I'll I'll break it up. I'll make it more digestible. You don't have to hit everything in this like super dense, concise bit of content, especially if things are broken up and you're using a little bit simpler language, you're giving that space to breathe. Your email can be a little longer, like physically longer. (laughs) 
Yeah. And some other things I'd say too, is that um, generally speaking on with traditional email copywriting, I know that I try to adopt a kind of neutral tan, uh, tone and stance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, never I, you, you just don't yeah. go the I route ever. And that that's kind of the opposite when you're talking about the more conversational email tone. Um, I also tend to be a little less worried about, I'm trying to think of how to say this. When I think of, when I think, when I put my email copywriting cap on for more traditional newsletters, I get very nervous about adding any sort of preamble. I get very nervous about doing anything that has a little bit too much pizzazz for lack of a better word, a little less fluff. Saki steak fries as I like to call them. Yeah, like it's almost as if I want the email to have appeared as if like to have the appearance of like literally just appearing out of nowhere with no particular <laughs> author or you know or whatever. It just is there and it's supposed to be this very kind of direct and to the point from the brand as if it were a collective, you know? Mm-hmm. And when I think about conversational, it's more I have to be a little bit careful. Because I do have that tendency to slip into that kind of, you know, passive voice, you know, mm-hmm. kind of inshore, just maybe, what like kind of apologetic tone that brands will often take because they don't want to have too much of an opinion about anything. And that is the opposite of what you do with conversational. I will exactly. immediately, and I've done it to you, strike the words, hopefully, think, thought, might, may, those go. There is no room for hesitation or apology in conversational. Yeah, and that's the funny part that is the art of conversational copywriting and email is something that I think actually flies in the face of what some of us do naturally in actual conversation. You know, we'll equivocate, we'll apologize, we will spend a lot of time apologizing for something and softening the blow before we yeah said the thought or idea. And that's the kind of stuff that has to go out the window because in order to come across as an authority, which is what I think people want to have the appearance of when they're doing these emails, to be trusted, to be that go-to resource, you have to push away any urge to apologize, whether it's implicit or explicit for your thoughts and ideas. So one of the things I've, I've had to do is that whenever I write a conversational email now, I always go back and immediately say, what are the useless words? Yes. What are the things that I can take out that doesn't take away from the personality, but has no business being there because I'm just being a wuss. Totally. That is exactly true. And it's, it really, sets the right tone of your content. It gives this air of confidence immediately that engages someone who's reading. There's such a big difference between saying, I thought maybe you might find this helpful and you're going to get something out of this. Yeah. It's just different. And if you can go in with that sort of confidence because you're writing on behalf of only yourself as the author, not your company, you're not saying we or at impact, you're saying I. Uh, You have the liberty of well, I mean, I might disagree with that. I, I disagree with that, but I still stand behind the principle of what you're saying people should do. Yes, I think the email is just coming from you, but if Impact has decided you are worth having your own email where you just get to be you, that is a bit of responsibility because whether we like to admit it or not, and I think this is where, this is where at least I sometimes get nervous, is that every message, everything you do and say on behalf of the brand, whether you're saying at impact and blah, 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 or not Mm -hmm. is a reflection of the brand. Oh, absolutely. But if you can, if you're, if you stand behind what you're writing and you're going to do it with confidence, which you should, or you shouldn't be writing it, there's no reason you have to say, I think maybe you might, I hope I write everything under two assumptions. One, everyone I work with will see it and two, and see it as coming from me, an employee of impact. And two, I could be quoted on Twitter at any time. And if you write something that passes those two tests, everyone I work with will see it and someone could quote me on Twitter saying this, go ahead and say it and take out all the hesitation. God, I sincerely hope nobody quotes me on Twitter. That would be- I love it when people quote me on Twitter. It's I know best. you do. I know you do. <laughs> I know you. I know who you are. <laughs> she um, talks and tweets, you know? 
Yeah, it's interesting too, because it, again, it's this fine line of you have to challenge yourself to set aside all of the bad habits that we tend to glom onto because we're feeling insecure about our thoughts or worried about being too pushy. But at the same time, while we're pushing ourselves to be a more confident version of ourselves, we also have to be really careful that we don't fall on the other side of that line, which is sounding inauthentic, which means like somebody gets an email from you and they may like the tone and it's super conversational, but then they look at the name and go, that's not what they sound like. That is so true. And that leads me into another thought about conversational copywriting as well. Um, first of all, you absolutely have to be authentic. And that's why I love throwing a quick little video in emails like this, because it gives that trust and that tone in the beginning that you are being authentic. You're putting your voice and your face behind all of this. And that's great. And even if you're not going to do that, um, your name is there. And so you do want to write in a way that's authentic to you. However, you might not always be writing these emails that are going to be coming from yourself. And I've done that. Yeah, that is a big deal. I mean, I am sure that some of the people listening, you've probably heard of Marcus Sheridan. And on our team, we wrote a conversational email that came from Marcus Sheridan at one point. And it was one of the scariest moments of my career. <laughs> I can't say that it went well. I can say that I learned a lot from it. Um, <laughs> but it was it was truly like a, a tear-inducing experience because we were like... Oh, we couldn't hit send on it. We were just going crazy over the copy. And the fact of the matter is I'm not Marcus. I could never sound like Marcus no matter how hard I tried. And even if I do, I would sound like someone trying to sound like Marcus. (laughs) And that's not to say that you can't write a conversational email for someone, but it's saying that two things, you need to really hone in on some of the pillars of their voice and tone and style and personality. And then you absolutely have to run it by them before you send it. That is a number one rule at Impact in, on our team, obviously, you know, is you do not send an email from someone else without their explicit approval on the content. They need 100%. to read it and they need to approve it. So here's another thing I would recommend too that's a little, so I, as you know, I spend a lot of time trying to put like, I, I joke that when I was working on the copywriting project for our new agency microsite, I kind of had to put a mini Bob Ruffalo in my head and that's yes. our, our CEO. You referred to him earlier. I had like a little, a little Bob and like, I feel like it takes me a little while. Like how long does it take to get like a mini Bob or a mini Chris or a mini Marcus in my head? I don't know. It just will eventually just like it snaps and suddenly I know the rhythm and I know how to do it. Yep. But I'll be honest, and this is probably true of most people, you don't always have the luxury of that kind of time. So I'm not going to name who it was because I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but I've had to do some kind of ghost copywriting on conversational emails. But what we did is something that you actually do in your emails, which is we generally ask people to create a video using Vidyard Go Video for their videos. And it's neat because yes. like the thumbnails animated and people are more likely to engage with the email when there's a video in there. And I'm sure you know some fantastic stat that proves that to be true, but let's just say for science reasons, people engage with video more. They do. It's true. Yeah. They engage with an email more if there's video. So one of the things that I can recommend is like, let's say you're a marketer for like a busy CEO or someone who is in sales or whatever, you really want to have a video in there. And Vidyard Go Video is free, which is And it takes like 13 seconds to set up. All you do is tell them like, hey, we're going to write an email coming from you. And this is generally what I want you to cover. And so this person made this email or video and said, you know, hey, so-and-so, it's me. Just wanted to check in because blah, 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 blah. And essentially they wrote the email for me. Um, And that made it really easy for me to understand how they would phrase certain things, how they wouldn't phrase certain things. Because when you write conversational emails from a structural perspective that include a video, generally you have like, hey, then like a line, like salutation, then there's the video. And then usually what comes after the video should basically be a synopsis of what was covered in the video. Like exactly. There are links, you know, yada, yada. So it made it really easy for me to kind of marry my tone of, you know, being able to organize thoughts well with how they would actually say things because I literally have them in front of me doing it. Um, 
but you know, not everybody's super comfortable on video, but like if you're not already in the practice of creating videos for email, I will say this as someone who is deathly afraid of video in general. Um, it makes my body seize. <laughs> like I've started doing it and I'm really glad I do it because it makes me a better copywriter in that way. And having other people do that for me makes my job 10 times easier. So that's, that's kind of a great little trick to not only make it easier for you to write a conversational email on behalf of somebody else, but also assuming your subject line isn't total freaking garbage makes it more likely that people will engage with the content in your email by having that video from the actual person. Absolutely. And that I think is the perfect way to not fall into that deception side of content writing where yes, we're ghostwriting the copy for the person, but they are approving it. They're recording this video. It's their content. We're just doing the typing is really all it is. And so with the video from the person in there, obviously we're not tricking anyone. And if you're, if you or someone on your team is not doing video because you don't like being on camera, that's an unacceptable reason to tough cookies. <laughs> yes. And so you need to meet Mr. Zach Basner from Impact or join Impact Elite. Uh, and there's a ton of conversations in there about how to overcome that or help someone on your team overcome that. We do that at Impact professionally. We help teams with their video marketing strategy and get comfortable on camera and yay wahoo. I'm not here to sell that because I'm not a salesperson. But fact of the matter is I have always been comfortable on camera. It comes really easily to me and it's, it's not something that's ever scared me away. That doesn't mean I'm great at it or I do it well. I just like attention. But Zach taught me, one of the first things he taught me when I started Impact was just start every video with a smile. And it makes such a difference because in the same way that you said that there's this thumbnail in the email and it's usually animated if you're using Go Video, which is great for the first three seconds and it's like you can wave or point to a dry erase board with someone's name on it or smile, like, yay, those are all great. If you don't start your video with a smile or a wave or a wink and a smile, then you start your video with this like unintentional mean mug. And I have gotten videos from people uh, less frequently in email, a lot of times just slacked directly to like me or a channel at our team uh, where someone just looks so upset in the beginning of the video. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. What are they going to say? Oh, like who's fired? And I get so anxious and I open the video and it's immediately like, hey, I hope you have a great weekend. I just wanted to let you know. And I'm like, are you kidding me? All that stress over nothing because you couldn't smile in the first two seconds of your video. And then that's all people are going to remember. Yeah. And so it's, I miss most of the content of videos that start with a mean face because I just get anxious looking at it. (laughs) I'll save this for later. Yeah, exactly. So yes, include a video and start it with a smile because it will engage people, but it will engage people and set the right tone and work much better if it's a happy video. (laughs) So, okay. I want to wrap this up with one question because we've been talking a lot about like do's and don'ts and nuances and we're testing and maybe this, but maybe that, but do this, but don't do that. What is the one thing somebody could do to like not screw up their first attempt at a conversational email or to make the conversational emails that they're writing better right now? Ooh, that is good. I've done this a couple say, times. <laughs> uh, the one thing questions. They're always uh, good You're for the welcome. list. <laughs> yeah. I would say the one thing you can do to not screw up your first conversational email or improve the ones you're already doing is to not be too hard on yourself because this is something new. It is a learning experience and you're probably not going to get it perfect the first time, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying. And that's kind of a cop-out answer for any new tactic. Uh, the other thing I would say, and I guess this should be a given, but I'm really by- glad you said the other thing you would say, cause that was a cop-out answer. And I was yeah. like, that's nice. So after that, yeah. So after <laughs> that, um, and I was also going to say, show it to someone before you send it, which is kind of also a cop-out answer. Cause like you should do that anyway. Uh, yeah. but yeah, have someone proof it, have someone read it. Um, and ask for feedback. These are all my cop-out answers. I'll get to something real. But uh, when you do send it, ask for feedback. Um, I would say the number one thing you have to do though is include a question. The question is what's going to facilitate the continued conversation. Without a question, you're still just talking at people. Yes, you're doing it more casually. And yes, it might include a video and have a different tone and less jargon. But if you're not asking a question, you're not inviting your audience to continue the conversation with you. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me, Stephanie. If people have more questions about conversational email or your delightful face or any other words that you might say differently than <laughs> other people who don't live yeah. in Chicago. Chicago. Um, was it Chicago? Chicago. 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 <laughs> oh, oh, that made my mouth feel funny. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to stick with my, my non-regional mid-Atlantic diction. Yes. Thank you. Uh, how can people find you? Oh, well, you can email me at uh, my super long name at impactbandy.com, which is <laughs> in the show notes. Or uh, you can join Impact Elite, which is probably the best way to find me. And it's impactbnd.com slash elite. Or you can tweet at me or Facebook message me or LinkedIn message me or Instagram me. And they're all with my super long last name. So if you can find Cass Stevens, I am Steph Cass Stevens on social media and S Cass Stevens at impactbnd.com. Thanks, bud. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. What's interesting about conversational email copywriting is that so much of the mindset you need to adopt to be successful with it also applies well to other types of content creation. Which brings me to this week's one thing, you know, the one thing you can start doing right now to make your content instantly better. I want you to think about the last time you sat down to write a piece of content to be published on an organizational channel. For example, let's say you have to write a blog article for your company's website that then is later shared through your company's social media channels. When you sat down to write it, did you make an effort to sound more professional or smarter or perhaps someone who's more worthy of respect from those who are older, more seasoned and more successful than you, however you might define it? Be honest with yourself. Do you sometimes try to write above your pay grade? Now, don't worry if the answer is yes. This is a common content creation trap that a lot of marketers can fall into, especially if you're just starting out in the inbound and content marketing world. And truth be told, I have fallen into this trap myself and still catch myself sometimes doing this, especially if I'm dealing with a topic where I have to write about any sort of, I don't know, an area of expertise where I don't feel like I have the conviction and authority behind my opinions that I feel like I should. You know, for example, I write really well about content creation, but sometimes when I have to start writing about search engine optimization, I just feel a little bit more nervous and insecure about my ability to bring that oomph to the table that's really going to drive the point home that I'm trying to make. So it makes sense that if this sounds familiar, that you might take steps to have your content dress up and, and play something of a part. Now, in some cases, you should be doing this in a little bit of a way, you know, adding that extra polish is exactly what you need, like a case study where it's more of that omniscient narrator tone and not yourself, where the results should be free from that editorial fluff so the results can stand on their own. Or maybe it's copy for a really serious service that your business provides to others. So for example, if you're a government contractor and you're assisting other small businesses to help get into government contracting, that's not something where you really want to get super pithy or a little bit more informal or casual. There are other instances, however, where your name is on the byline, or maybe the byline belongs to someone else, but you're collaborating with them to get it across the finish line. This is where that writing above your pay grade approach can actually be the kiss of death. You may think you're being impressive and sounding smart, but in reality, your audience is going to see right through it. You will look and sound inauthentic. And not only that, you'll sound completely lazy too. Because whenever you fall into this trap of trying to sound smarter or more polished in a way that doesn't feel natural, that's when you typically start using a lot of cliches or apologetic and passive language and all of your content is just going to end up falling flat. If you speak plainly and hate jargon, then that's how you should write. People should be able to hear your voice through your words, so write how you talk. If you are not someone who speaks plainly, maybe you use some adverbs and you tend to be very colorful and, and use jokes and infuse a lot of personality in how you speak, you're going to want to do the same thing. People should be able to hear your voice through your words, so again, write how you talk. 
of course, once you get to those final revision stages, you can definitely polish it up a little bit, you know, give a little extra finesse to your natural sounding words, but the core of your voice and your tone should be you. But anyway, on to the weekly awesome. One of the areas of expertise I'm really trying to level up on is SEO and backlinking. This should be no surprise if you listen to episode eight of this podcast. During that episode, I talked about blending the art of content creation with the science of technical SEO with Franco Valentino of Narrative SEO. But if you missed it, here's basically what you need to know. If you want to create great content that people actually put their peepers on nowadays, you need to have the dual discipline in SEO principles and content creation. Even if you still lead with your content skill set like I do, I don't consider myself an SEO specialist by any means. I'm a content strategist first. You still need to understand it. You need to have the ability to organically weave these principles and best practices into your work so you produce the best work possible that also gets found. Anyway, to that end, this week's Weekly Awesome is Brian Dean of Backlinko's Definitive Guide to Backlinking, which is newly revised for 2018. Not only is this a fantastic example of pillar content, although I'll be honest, I have a couple of UI grievances with it or opportunities for improvement. Uh, It's the first time I found a resource on backlinking that makes sense. And not only that gives me deep, well-explained tactics that I can implement on my own for impact. I'm going to go ahead and link it in the show notes for you, but if you're a little bit lazy and don't want to check those out, you can find it at backlinko.com forward slash backlinks hyphen guide. All right, that is all, folks. Don't forget you can find me at NaptownPint or at Content Lab on Twitter and Instagram. Also, love or hate the show, please drop me a review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It not only tells me whether or not Content Lab is useful for you, it also helps others find the podcast. And finally, the Content Lab newsletter, the first edition, has finally gone out. If you missed it, check your inboxes. If you aren't signed up yet, go ahead and slide into my show notes for a link to get in on the next issue. Until next week. 